Amen. Brother Russell. Amen. All right. Do I need the mic up at all? Uh, yeah. And it's on. It's on. All right. We're going to just introduce the video real quick. Thank you to Evergreen Baptist Church for your faithfulness over the last 21 years. Your church has been supporting us in New Guinea. Amen. Okay, that's a good place for an amen. We need to go back to that song, Revive Us. <laughs> but uh, I realize most of you were probably not there. Was anybody here 21 years ago? <laughs> really? How old are you now? 29. I was, are you really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Good. You were here? Yeah. Good. Amen. I'm 45. Thank you. <laughs> the altar will be available. <laughs> now we're going to go forward with the Lord with this infamous going on. But um, God's been immensely gracious to us. Uh, God's always good, is he not? Amen. Amen. And so, you know, it's always odd for me to hear someone say, or even for me to say, God was good too. You know, God's always good. Amen. God's always good. And he's always, always faithful as who he is. Um, but just as a brief introduction, you're going to hear me tell a story right at the beginning here about a woman. Her name is Rita. I didn't mention her name in the story. She's a real person. It's not a, not a parable. People really come to Christ here, there, and everywhere. That's right. And so let's take a trip to New Guinea. Can we turn the lights off? Sure. Is that right? Ha, easy one. <laughs> All right. Smash it, brother. Go ahead. And she smashed her.
back. God broke my heart with the thought that there are no, there are no airstrips out here, there are no roads out here, and yet there were people out there. Amen. And I surrendered that day to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. In June of 2000, my family and I arrived into Papua New Guinea. We got settled in. We were going to go to Dara to begin our work. And immediately we started with evangelistic days. Uh, we had, I think, 30 people enrolled in our Bible school. It was amazing. But in the Bible school, in that strategy that I learned from better missionaries, you can do it by yourself, or you can bring someone along and do it together. And every month, I would take one of our Bible school students or two, and we would travel to the mainland to go to these different villages that uh, we had open doors in. I would fly from Daru to Weeping, and then I would walk six hours one way, three hours another way to these different villages, and always back to Weeping to fly back to been in Daru for a year and a half. God had already put in my heart, weeping is the central location on the mainland. This is where you're coming next. So we bought this sawmill, shipped it to New Guinea, got it into weeping with a tractor. We chopped trees down, sawed them up, built them up to build a church building. We sawed up these trees to build a house. And we started the weeping Baptist church. And in the Bible school, I've got people that we've led to Christ from different villages around. We've got people from the Omega, from Madari, from Ruah, some from Lean. We've got some from Kondobol. These students are sitting in class and they're learning the same things I've learned. We're studying the life of Paul and seeing how Paul was a missionary. And well, when these men begin to get burdens from their own, their own people, knowing that their people are in darkness, our villages are very spread out. The closest village is two hours away. Now these students would start going to their own villages and preaching the word of God. Amen. We lived in Weeping. We've been there four years already, and we experienced long dry seasons where we had to be very careful with water. We would be, we would reuse our laundry water three or four times. We needed water where we lived. It's very stressful to to not know when it's going to rain next. The only water we drink or even use is rainwater. And so it doesn't rain, we have no water. So I researched buying a small drilling machine. I didn't have enough money to buy it. But I was sitting down with another missionary in Papua New Guinea and telling him about the different struggles and explained about this drilling machine. And he said, oh, I've got one of those. I said, really, how did it go? He goes, oh, by the time I got it, I didn't need it anymore. It was still in the box. And I think, wow. I said, would you sell it to me? And he began thinking about it. He put his head up, started thinking about how much he was going to charge me, and his wife hid it. We can't sell that. We didn't pay for that. <laughs> 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 and the government official came over to my house. They often do. And he saw the machine and was, was inquisitive. He says, well, if you ever figure out, let me know. We'd like, we'd like you to drill. So I contacted that brother here in America. And he said, Jason, we can do it. He and a couple other men came over from the States and helped us drill our first board. Not only one, we drill three. Hey, one more each time. Excited, the government's excited, so they hired us to drill a few more uh, that would be developed where people could access that water. Since 2014, we drilled, I think, 36 water bores. Some of it was just, just fly out and said, no, Baptists, don't come. We don't want you. 
But since then, they've written us letters now, same villages. I've written us letters now and say, would you please come and help us cuddle a village where these people chased us, chased us out. We drilled in that village. We stood around the machine. I said, God gives water. Man cannot make water. And those people stood there with their heads bowed. And so we drilled and drilled and drilled. And finally I told them, I think we've got it. And those people would just act up surrounding us, watching this thing, blew it out and water began to blow out. And hey. the Lord, these people started dancing. They started dancing. Yeah. <laughs> praising God for the water. And that war is, is the only water war that we drilled that is free flowing. It just flowed all by itself. People come every day. And whosoever will, they come. Amen. Yeah. 
weeks. I got it and 62 people died. Remember we get sick. We don't want to go to the hospital. I'm a joke. Don't go to the hospital. People die there. The Easter week, we're having a revival meeting. David started feeling sick. It's normal trial. He's, he's just getting worse and worse and worse. Finally, I, I finally took him to the hospital for examination. And they said, we think he's got appendicitis. But he'll be okay. Just give him a few days. You don't give appendicitis a few days. I said, um, anyway, I can take him home and care for him there with the IV and all that. And they said, no, 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 no. Finally, they let me. Easter Sunday, David had surgery for his appendix. Missions is a risk. It's a risk to your health. It's a risk to life. Money's helpful, but there's something that we need that money cannot provide. And that's God's blessing. Not only blessing on the work, but blessing on our health. Amen. You made your first trip to New Guinea. We're going to take another trip now. Thank you for your part in enabling us to fulfill God's call in, in my life and serving him in New Guinea. Any comments, questions before we get to the message in 2 Kings chapter 7? Any initial thoughts that you saw or questions you had? Otherwise, afterwards, we'd be happy to talk with you. Great time, brother. Preach on. Amen. All right. 12 o'clock in 15, 17 minutes. Anybody got a roast in the oven right now? All right. If I do this in 17 minutes, it'll be the fastest I've ever done it. We'll see what we can do here. Can you give me 30? Are we okay? 2 Kings chapter 7. 
you know, I'll say, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, but there are so many. But this is a wonderful story, and I love to illustrate it. 2 Kings chapter 7 says in line number 1, Then Elisha said, what do you think Elisha sounded like? Hear ye the word of the Lord. (laughs) Does that sound like the prophet? (laughs) Have you ever heard Mike Tyson talk? Have you ever heard him speak? That does not match the body, does it? (laughs) I did never expect that. It's probably why I got into boxing. People made fun of him, you know? All right, let's try to be Elisha for a minute. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, ha, might this thing be? The ha is not in there, but, you know. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. That sounds scary. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, And one said, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say, we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. That's how they would say to New Guinea, okay? That's how they would talk, just like that. Ha! We shall die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink. Happy, happy. And carried it silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. They're going to live a long life, right? And came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the port of the city, And they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. This morning I'd like to preach for the next while on this topic, We do not well if we do not tell. We do not well if we do not tell. The first thing we learn in our text is a prophecy by the prophet Elisha. He says, in essence, he says, tomorrow is going to be different, yea, better than today. Wouldn't that be a blessing to hear a prophecy like that? Amen. The problem with prophesying that, if it's wrong, you get to stone me. So I can't do that. 
I don't know if tomorrow is going to be better than today. I know my future is going to be a lot better than today. But I don't know about tomorrow. Tomorrow might be worse. But he gives this prophecy. And the man said, I just don't see how that's going to happen. If God were to open up windows in heaven, might this thing be? And then it quickly acquiesces or it quickly uh, changes to the story about these four leprous men. Four lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha. Now, mind you, if you had leprosy, back then it was a, pretty much a death sentence. You were going to die slowly, painfully. On our island, we have many lepers on our island. And they're free to move around. Isn't that crazy? Uh, one young man, his name was Matthew, would come to our church. Jonathan, excuse me, Jonathan. He had leprosy and his ear was just large and really dark. And nose was larger and darker. And just face was all distorted and troubled and his body was just in trouble and he's taking the medicine and that happened but these men knew that if i mean whatever happens they're going to die the this was the the this was social distancing on steroids right if it was your husband who got leprosy you're out the house if it was your child who got it out the house and remember in in uh in in the days of jesus walking on the earth people would come and and say, uh, you know, unclean, unclean, and all that. They'd have to shout to warn people that they were coming. And so these four leprous men are sitting outside the, the, the city there. And they're wondering, why sit we here? Why are we sitting here? And Christian, I want to throw that generic question out to you today. Why are you sitting here? Well, because you're up there. That's why we're sitting here. Well, that makes sense. But stationary in life. Most Christians today are stationary. They're not moving. We're not moving. The part, uh, part of the reason why these guys were sitting there is, is twofold. Number one, we find that the doors were shut. If, if today you came to church and the doors were shut, where would you be? You'd be outside. You'd be sitting there waiting for pastor to come or whoever would come with the, with the keys to the door. The doors were shut according to 2 Kings chapter 6 because there was a, the, 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 of course the army of, of Syria was there, had besieged the city. They had surrounded it with an armed force in order to capture it or force it to surrender. So they're outside really because the gates are shut, the people inside are scared. They're scared of those people outside. If they get inside, it's going to be bad trouble. The second reason why the, these men are sitting outside is because there's a famine inside the city. I mean, what good is it to go into somewhere looking for food when there's no food in there? It tells us in chapter 25, or chapter 6, excuse me, verse number 25, says that there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore or eighty pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of doves dung for five pieces of silver. Can you imagine, has anybody here ever had donkey's head? How about horse's head? How about salmon head? Okay, okay, I knew I'd get a salmon somewhere around here. There's not a whole lot of meat in the head. Unless you want to eat the cheeks and things like that, maybe something there. But not a whole lot of meat uh, on the head. And yet a donkey's head was, can you imagine how much the, the thigh of a donkey was going for, or the ribs of a donkey were going for? If this was going for 80 pieces for the head, that's big business. But it got worse than that. There were people inside, uh, the, drought, uh, the, the, the drought and famine was so bad that little boys and girls were sent out by their parents to go watch what? The birds. And they would catch that. And maybe if they wouldn't consume it themselves, they would go take it to the market. And people were buying bird what? Yeah. You guys are very biblical. Very good job. <laughs> we would say in New Guinea, peck peck. Does that sound about right? That's the word for that, peck peck. 
in 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 our language, weepy language, it's Nenalea. Uh, that's bird backpack, okay? And there's a, there's one part on the road that they call that part Nenalea. Not because birds are there, because it's just so messy that if you go through there, that's what it's like. All dark and you know all that business. Do I need to describe it anymore? <laughs> okay, it's nasty. But uh, but people were buying that stuff. Could it get any worse? It gets worse. In verse number 26 through 30 of chapter 6, we find that there were two women who became cannibals. I mean, it's got to be a bad situation for a pastor to say to, to one of the other men, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll sell Jack today, or no, we'll kill Jack today, and we'll boil him today, and tomorrow we'll kill your son and eat him. How's that? How's that? Is that a good idea? Not a good idea. <laughs> Want to do that again? Okay. <laughs> got your attention. Uh, but these two women, they came to the king and said, King, I've got a problem. Okay, what's your problem? And she began to tell the story how she made this deal with this woman. And the king read says, Oh, what's going on here? So why would you want to go into a city like that? It's better off outside. At least they won't eat you outside. So that's the situation where we're at. And so the physical condition of the people could not be worse. And it was in this environment that these lepers are sitting outside and wondering, Why are we sitting here? I mean, if we go in the city, we'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die here for sure. If we go out there, at least we can act like goblins and goblins. Whoa. You know, their garments are tattered and torn. They've got pus hanging off of them or whatever. Sores, you know, stuff coming out of their head. Maybe they'll get them to run away and they can grab a chicken leg or, or do something. Something. At least we'll have something. Well, let's give it a go. Let's try it. So verse number five of our text says they rose up in the twilight, they went into the camp, and that's exactly what they found. It was a surprise, it was a shock as they came. They started seeing a garment here, a garment there, maybe uh, a, a gold piece here. I mean, these people just ran for their life like they had nothing to lose, and they just wanted to get rid of all their weight and run away. It was a miracle. And so these guys, they began running from tent to tent. Can you imagine this? Can you visualize this? These guys went from tent to tent and they found, they found maybe a big turkey, turkey leg here. Oh, corn. Oh, a garment. Grab that garment, throw it over your shoulder, another garment, throw it over your shoulder. Find a gold pot, a gold pan. A, 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 what kind of gold pot? Gold pan. How about a bronze pot, a bronze pan or whatever? And gather all the stuff and then begin digging holes and to hide it so that they can come back later and get it, right? Like they're going to live forever, right? These guys have leprosy. They're not going to live very long. The point of it is foolish. You're not going to be able to hold on to these things. Why would you attempt to do that? And finally, when these guys sat down, they're all fat and sassy now. and oh, Like a Baptist preacher on a Sunday afternoon. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? And then finally, one guy says to the other guy, Hey, this is not good. We do not well. Today is a day of glad tidings, and we hold our peace. Almost a little superstition here. You know, not quite, I mean, superstition might be the wrong word to use, but they're conscious of this thing. Oh, boy, karma is going to come back to get us. You know, you could use all these words that we use nowadays, right? And they said this statement. This day is a day of good tidings. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. This morning I want to speak on a few things. Of we do not well if we do not tell. Number one something, if you might write this down, it might be easy to remember. We do not well if we do not tell, number one something, the world that there is a hell. That's right. 
Is there a hell? Yes. Have you been there? Do you know anybody that's been there? In Papua New Guinea, every few years, at least, oh, forgive me, I say New Guinea, forgive me. Whenever I say New Guinea, just know I'm talking about my area because New Guinea is a big place, right? Like we say, in America, well, there's lots of places in America that are different. So in, uh, in our area, there will, every few years, there'll be someone, normally a, a woman, who will come out and say that she died and she went to hell and has come back to tell the story. And she makes lots of money doing this. There's different ones all the time until finally the preachers rise up and then they die down and so forth. But, you know, the, 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 the Bible, the Lord Jesus opened up, we say this, this is how we say it in New Guinea. He, he took the lid off of hell so we can look inside because we would have no idea what's in there unless God told us. And he's the authority on the subject. It tells us in Luke chapter 16 in line number 19, my devotions, I was reading Luke 16 this morning, 15, 16, 17. And he says, this, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the Bible says the dogs came and licked up his sores, licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and he was what? Buried. Well, I like how this little play on words here we have, carried and buried, which sounds more... Uh, Nice. I'd rather be carried than buried. Is that right? And so Lazarus is carried, whereas uh, here this man with no name gets buried. The Bible says then in verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes. Luke 16, 23. He lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Brethren, our relatives will die and go to this place, many of them, because we would not tell. You know, hellfire and brimstone preachers get a bad rap today, because oftentimes you don't sense compassion maybe in their preaching or they're speaking on hell. And so when we talk about hell, it's not something to throw in someone's face. It's something to say with compassion. My friend, there is hell to pay for sin. There is a hell. There is a heaven. There is a good place and a bad place. We say place no good. That's hell. Place he got fire. That's hell. Hell's a place where there's no God. There's a place where there's no God. I mean, today, we sense that there's no God maybe in our community or in our society. There's still God. The Holy Spirit is still here. Yeah. But, when he, but when he that now letteth will let until he's taken out of the way, when, he, when the rapture happens and God's church is taken away and the Holy Spirit is taken away, there's going to be anarchy in a bigger way. Yes, Can you imagine? Uh, anarchy is the, is the modern word that we use what the Bible calls iniquity, lawlessness, iniquitous behavior. Can you imagine living in a society where right and wrong is dependent upon what I think? Not really based upon the, the written law or something written down. I'm going to make this statement. Uh, it's, I'm going to, it's facetious, okay? In New Guinea, when someone dies and they're at their funeral, they never, no one ever goes to hell. Is that accurate? Not accurate. But always, Pastor Shaver, by the time the funeral happens, doesn't matter how wicked that guy was in life, somehow by the time he gets in the coffin, he made it. Do you know what I'm saying? There's this disconnect 
There's a total disconnect because out of compassion, we don't want to say, and at funerals, obviously, we don't need to be mean and rough and crude and all that stuff. But we need not pretend and joke ourselves. So I sensed our people really were, were not coming to grips with this whole topic here. And so on Wednesday nights in our prayer meeting time, what I began to do is uh, I shocked them one day. Uh, Brother Russo, who is now the pastor of Weeping Baptist Church, he was sitting on the front row with his family on this side. And I said, Brother Rusa, what's your father's name? His name is Arusa Gometa. And he says, well, Gometa. Oh, yeah, no, no kidding. The last name of a child is the first name of the father. I should have known that, right? Why did I ask that dumb question? So I said, is your father saved? He said, no. Okay. I turned around and wrote his name on the blackboard. Let's pray for old man Gometa to be saved. Because if old man Gometa doesn't get saved, where does he go? Hard to say it. Yeah. The hard time saying that. And so then we, it became a custom in our church that on Wednesday nights we would do that. One of, a, one of the men, his name is uh, uh, Sasai. Sasai is now a graduate of a Bible school. But before he got saved, uh, he, was, he still was a big, tall guy. He would be on the front of GQ magazine. Okay, he's a handsome-looking guy. He can make a nice beard, all that stuff. But, <laughs> you know, GQ, they normally have that. Right, ladies? You know it. Handsome guy. And he married the chief's daughter. Her name is Sharon. So important people by marriage and so forth. Anyways, uh, I, I, I saw them walking. They were newly married. I saw them walking uh, from their garden place. And I knew that the, their church, the United Church, which is in, in that village there where they stay, had no pastor at the time. They, they, they get assigned pastors. So pastors, they rotate every three years. In, in that thing there. And I knew they didn't have one. So I went out to the road and I said, hey, Sasai, do you have a pastor? And he's, I knew he didn't. He says, no. I said, I want to be your pastor. Will you come this Sunday? You need a pastor. Young family needs a pastor. Would you come? He came. Brought his wife. Very scary. Make a very long story shorter. Sasai got saved. Exciting to baptize him. He was probably one of those pictures that we saw getting baptized many years ago. Well, Sharon, he, they would come Sunday morning, they came Sunday evening, they would come on Wednesday evening. And I always felt it hard to say publicly, hey, let's pray for Sharon that's sitting right here because she's not saved yet. Wouldn't that be uncomfortable? Yeah. Very uncomfortable. We didn't do that. So one night she was not there. So I asked Sasai, Sasai, has Sharon been saved yet? And he goes, no. I said, oh, trouble at the house, huh? Okay. So I said, let's pray for Sharon. So I wrote Sharon's name up on the board. While we scattered around the building for prayer that evening, Sharon came in the back door. What does Sharon see when she first comes in the door? Name belonging to him, stop. Her name is on the board, and she just stared at it. Did she get angry? Nope. She came to understanding. I thought I was tricking people. She is the chief's daughter, right? And the chief's daughter, or the chief, is basically in charge of the United Church, so... Just by being born the chief's daughter, you're going to make it, right? Right. Sharon got saved that next week. Amen. Sweet lady, sweet lady. Brother, we do not well if we do not tell the world that there is a hell. One of the tracks I just saw, I found recently, and I bought a bunch of them. It says, how good is good enough, and how bad is too bad. It's a nice way of introducing a concept. And every time I've handed one of these tracks out, people say, thank you. Right even here in Washington State, they say, thank you. A track that I like to use in Papua New Guinea, um, it, uh, it, it, it's about hell, and it says, um, 
uh, how's the phrase go? Uh, ah, I'm missing it. I've got your pastor's disease here. <laughs> uh, and basically what I'll, I'll ask him, it's a good, it's a good lead in to a question. And I, I'll ask a person right on the road. So uh, what, what's going to happen? You're going to go up or down? Does it sound shocking to say things like that? It is shocking. Up or down? Which way will it be? Which, uh, he- this is the name of the track. Heaven or hell, which one will you choose? And when I hand a, a, a gospel track out in New Guinea, I do this all the time um, because they have time. New Guineans will say this about us. You Americans, you have plenty of watches, but you have no time. <laughs> in Papua New Guinea, we have no watches, but we have plenty of time. That's what they'll say. Right. <laughs> is that about right? And so we'll be walking down the road, and I'll give a gospel track out. And says, I'll say, hey, what does that say? And they'll read it, and they'll say, heaven or hell. And at the bottom it says, which one will you choose? I said, what else? Which one will you choose? And I said, so what's your choice? Well, it's a no-brainer. What choice do you want? Heaven! Mm-hmm. My point is this, brethren. We need to find a way with compassion to be able to share the bad news. The world that there is a hell. There is a hell. Revelation 20 tell, tells us this. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And death and hell gave up the dead which were in them. And... and uh, uh, and were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's Bible. That's right. We just need to find a way, brethren, in your society, in your community, to share the Bible with people, to let right. them know there is a hell. Yeah. Right. Judgment is a hard concept for our, for our people because there's very, very little judgment in our society. Right. Someone breaks a law. Nothing happens. It's kind of like happened right now, right? In our, in, our, in our America, in our world today. In our school system, there are no tests. You do not fail in school until grade 8, 10, or 12. You're going to go on. If you're grade 1, you don't understand grade 1, don't worry. You might get it next time. So grade 2, you go. Grade 3, you go. All the way to grade 8. And then they, oh, man. And they'll say this. You didn't really fail. The system, that's what was, the system just didn't work for you. Does that sound familiar? I don't know if that's a UN message or what, but they've got it over there. It just didn't work for you. It's not your fault. Thank God for the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't do that. That's the spirit of our God. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. saved. Isn't that a beautiful word? Yes. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In a world where people do not keep their promises, here's a promise. God will keep his word. Amen. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. That's God's will for us. We must repent. We must realize that's the wrong place. I don't want to go there. Brethren, we do not well if we do not tell the world that there is a what? Hell. There is a hell. Second one, we do not well... If we do not tell the sinner that the penalty has been paid. Amen. That's good news. Mm-hmm. By the way, never tell the good news to a sinner until you've told them the bad news. Yep. Otherwise, the good news doesn't make any sense. Romans 5.8 says this, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. Christ died for us. Amen. If you look at the verses before that, let me just turn there quickly. 
if I quote her, I might, might mistake here. Romans chapter 5. I love the concept, the lead up to that, to that text right there. Romans chapter 5. Where it says this. He says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's remarkable. And then here's, this, here's the context. For scarcely. How often is that? Not very often. For a righteous man will one die. If you're a righteous man, you're, 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 you're blamed uh, or you're accused falsely. Someone may come up and take your place because they know you're innocent. Right? It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. If you are a good man, I might be willing to take your place because I'm, I'm worse than you are. Let you go free. Ha! But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we are totally guilty. Right. We are totally guilty. Right. And yet even though he knew we were guilty, he still died for us. That showed us his love. Amen. You know? I would have a hard time, Pastor, dying for anybody because we've all got issues, right? right. I'll give one case in point. When I was taking his class, the Pauline Epistles, I wrote a big final report thing. And man, it was awesome. I know it was better than any student in your whole history. (laughs) And he gave me an A, 99, something like that. And I said, why is that? He goes, no one's perfect. (laughs) I'm still bitter about that. (laughs) But I've taken that course. I made a course out of that thing from his class. And I teach it every every three years in our Bible school, the Pauline Epistles. Very influential. Brethren, the sinner, that the penalty has been paid. Last furlough, we were in New York, and we went to see some site with a friend. He loved to see waterfalls, and he took us to some waterfalls. It was summer, so there was no water. Ah, but it was an interesting place anyways. But when we came off that mountain, we came down to McDonald's, and we were going to get some ice cream cones or something like that. And so I was first in line, and he was behind me, Brother Matt Emery. And, and uh, I went up to, I ordered these ice cream cones for myself and a couple of my kids, my wife, and, and uh, they went up to pay. When I got up there to pay, the woman said, the person who just drove away paid your bill. What? I will not allow this. I will pay him for my ice cream. Did I say that? No. I said, wow. This, this was like a rave going on back in that day. It was called pay it forward, right? How many have ever had that happen for you? How many have been saved? You've had it happen. That's good news. Can you imagine going to the grocery store? You've got a full load of groceries in your car. So you go up there to pay and tell that person just put $1,000 for your bill. You're done. Hey, what? Man, that's a glad day. Hey, we do not well if we do not tell the sinner that the penalty has been paid. Amen. Someone paid it already. Amen. Find with me in your Bible, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. <coughs> I left my New Testament in my van. I need to have it for this illustration, but I, didn't, I don't have it. So I'm going to use my normal Bible, okay? But normally in my New Testament... I have, I have actually two kina. I've got five kina here because I don't have two kina. It's in there, but I don't want to take it off. So five kina that I'll have inside my New Testament at 1 John chapter number 2, verse 1 and 2. And because there's a story, I love to tell stories, and our people love to hear stories. That's probably why I like to tell stories. 
And um, so I put this in here. Let's read the two verses, and I'll tell my story, okay? You ready? Yeah. Okay. okay. Here we go. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have a what? Advocate with the Father. Who's he? Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I'll oftentimes ask our folks, do you have any idea what the word advocate means? And they normally have no idea. And it's just a setup to get me to the next word. And I'll tell them an advocate is someone who speaks for you, someone who stands on your side. Did I say that accurately? <laughs> and who is your advocate? Who's the one who wants to stand with you? Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. And then it goes on to say in verse 2, and he, who are we talking about? Jesus. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you have any idea what propitiation means? And what's their answer going to be? Not a chance. And I'll have to, have to comfort them by saying, you know what, that's not an American word. We don't use words like that either. I don't know the last time anybody said that word in a conversation with me. How about you? No? We don't use that word. But it's a powerful word because whatever it means... It says here that he is that for our sins and not for ours only, but also for everybody's big word. Amen. Here's the story. All right. We're going to, let's see, Pastor, and your wife's name is? Julie. Julie. And you have a daughter named? Uh, J- uh, I got a yeah, lot. <laughs> Jenna. Jenna. Let's use Jenna today. Okay. Suppose, Pastor, that you, you lived on our island, Daru. And evening time, this is just how it worked in Dar. okay? No refrigerator. Most people do not have refrigeration. They just go to the market every day, okay? So, pastor is hungry. It's already 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He knows that the fish merchants are going to be bringing all their fish in by 5 o'clock, something like that. So, he says, Jenna, sends Jenna down to the market, and he gives her 10 bucks, okay? What can you buy with 10 bucks? This will be a typical evening meal. You're going to buy some fish, because uh-huh, we live on an island, lots of fish. Uh, you're going to buy some fish, you're going to buy some coconut, and you're going to buy some greens. That would be a typical thing, and sometimes rice. If they can get rice, they would love to have rice with that. But you're not going to get rice with 10 bucks. So uh, you send her with that 10 bucks, and uh, this is, this is going to be a bad story. It's not a true story. It's not a prophecy. I have to tell our people this because they will look into every story and try to find some truth, not just truth, but some future event that's going to happen as a result of it. So I have to tell him, not a prophecy. So he sends his daughter to the market with 10 bucks, and I'm going to be in the story today, but I'm going, to, I'm going to be the bad guy. Okay? Do I look like a bad guy? Yes. I will be a bad guy. <laughs> and so I spied her go to the market, and I see her do this often. So I spied her go to the market, and I saw her pull out of her bag 10 bucks. And sure enough, she goes to buy some fish, and she buys some greens, and she buys a coconut, and she came back with how much left? Five. Sorry, you don't know what that is. Five bucks. And I broke the Ten Commandment, Jenna. I coveted that, ten, that five bucks. And finally, after you put your things in your bag, you're headed back to the house. I followed you. And I knew there would be a place on the road where it was dark and silent and no one was around. And I chose that time for me to strike. And I came up to you and said, Hey, you, give me that five, five bucks. And you said, No. <laughs> no, it's my five kids. You can't have it. <laughs> when I when I am following and witnessing, I will I will tell this story. I will always find a place to get to First John chapter two, and I'll say it like that because it loosens them up and it makes them laugh just like you laugh. And they're on board with me because they are totally into this story. And I say, no, give it to me. Bonk. 
And I bumped her on the head, not knowing I killed your daughter that day. I jumped it, I jumped it. I threw her into the bush, and I went away a happy man because now I have five kina. I'm very happy now. Well, you're at home waiting for your daughter to come home, and you're saying, shh, where's this woman? And that's exactly how our men will think. If it's the wife, he'll be thinking, who's she with? When you ask someone if they can name the Ten Commandments, the first one they will name will be number seven. What's number seven? Adultery. It's always on their mind. It is a major problem in our society. And so he's going to think first off that she ran away with somebody. And he's going to kill her. Kill that man. Not thinking about killing his daughter for going with him, but kill that guy. And so he's upset. And finally it comes night and oh, gets the family. Go look for her. They find you. Sorry, you're dead in the bush. They pull you out, bring you back home. Big house cry comes on. Oh, cry, 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 cry. One week, too much time. Put her in the ground. We say, plant her. They planted her now. House cry is over. We have a feast. Now we're going to forget all about you. That's so sad, isn't it? In our society, once they have the feast, it's done. Don't think about it anymore. Well, one year goes by, Brother Shaver, Pastor, Father, and I'm feeling bad now about that five bucks. And I come to you, and I, I seek you out, and I say, oh, Mr. Shaver, last year, and I tell the story, I killed your daughter. I took five bucks. I'm sorry. Five bucks for you. Will you accept that as a sorry payment for what I did? No. No? What would you like to do to me for what I did to your daughter and to you? Can't say. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some of our people will get pious and they'll say, forgive you. I said, you would not. You would never forgive me for that. What would you want to do? Okay, kill you. <laughs> and I'll say, and so you should. For Romans chapter 6, 23, say it with me. For the wages of sin is death. In pigeon, we say it like this. Pay below sin and me die. Everybody knows that verse. Lost. Saved. Everybody knows that verse. If you go and say, the wages of sin, they will say, is death. Pable on sin, and me die. Come back to our verse here. And he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means the acceptable sacrifice. That's right. I would say, just as you would never accept five kina as a sorry payment for what I did to you and to your daughter, Jesus Christ will never accept whatever you put inside the offering to take away your sin. He'll never accept that water baptism. When you come out of that water, you're just as dirty as you went in to the Lord. God will never accept your church membership. God will never accept that good deed you did over here, even that bad deed over there. There's no scale up in heaven that weighs your good and your bad. No, 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 no. I love the song. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. See it? Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. The second verse goes on to say, wafted on the rolling tide, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell to sinners far and wide. Brother, we do not well if we do not tell the world that there is a what? Hell. And we do not well if we do not tell the sinner that the penalty has been paid. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the only one that can take away our sin. Last one in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Line number 9. It says, wherefore we labor... On this blaas, you may walk hot. For this reason, we are working. 
that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Do you know, Christian? Excuse me. If you just sit there, that's unacceptable. As a Christian, in your Christian life, if you just claim that salvation and enjoy it all by yourself, that is unacceptable. We're not talking about salvation here. That's unacceptable. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Acceptable. To sit and do nothing is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Brethren, we do not well if we do not tell the world that there is a hell, the sinner that the penalty has been paid, but the Christian that judgment is coming. Do you realize there's coming a day when you're going to give an account for your salvation? Not for your sin, but for your salvation. You're going to stand before the nail-pierced hands and say, Thank you, I enjoyed my, my salvation. I sat on it, but I thank you. I'm in heaven. Look at all the splendor that I get to enjoy now. If there could be poor houses in heaven, if you're a sitter, you might be one in one of those places. I don't think there is, but you understand. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. This is not talking about our sin. This is talking about our service. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That terror, that's the wonders, the greatness of God. Just like how the Lord God is terrible. Does that mean like he's a bad person? No, no. He's amazing. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We want to serve Christ. We want to serve him. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I mean, if he would die for everyone, that means there was no other way for salvation. Right. It was impossible. That's why he had to die. And that's why, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Amen. He says, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. I trust that you also see that I'm doing my best to serve him. 20, verse 20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, be you reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hey, Christian, I would not be doing the right thing if I didn't come to Evergreen Baptist Church and and tell you, hey, we do not well. If I would not tell you, hey, Christian, judgment is coming. You can't just sit. There is a world that needs salvation. You got the, the message of salvation. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Favorite song of our church, Dyer Baptist Church. They love that song. Most Saturdays, brother, when we go out house to house, gather together, I'm tired of singing that song. No, no, they want to sing that song again. (laughs) You know, how many can just sing the same song every week and be happy? Yeah? I think you sang that song I heard this morning last time I was here. (laughs) There is sunshine in my soul today. Let me ask you, Christian, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Is there going to be anybody in heaven because of you, your witness? 
I used to challenge our people with this statement. What can be better than going to heaven? Anything better than going to heaven? Here's the statement. Bringing someone else with you. Amen. Amen. Bringing someone else with you.